Father, thank you uh, for your wonderful uh, peace in our lives, uh, your protection, your provision, your unfailing love, your great mercy. Uh, I so appreciated um, Ted's message today on asking you uh, to bless our households, bless our work, bless our families. Uh, And so, uh, Father, we do that tonight. We uh, are thankful for you and all you have done for us through the Lord Jesus. Uh, It's so wonderful to be a part of your family. We thank you for that privilege. Uh, But since you've asked, we do come and ask you to bless, again, bless our households, uh, bless our work, bless our families, uh, bless our church. Uh, We love you, and we say thank you this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 2 Samuel. So it's so funny, uh, a few summers ago, um, I went up to, my folks live in Kansas City, and I went up to Kansas City, and I think we drove, and so I had a rental car, and for some reason my dad wanted to go with me to get gas. Little father-son bonding time, I guess. And so we went to the gas station, and I pulled up to the pump, and I get out, and he's sitting in the passenger seat, and so I go, and I'm filling up the gas, and I'm watching it, you know, because I'm holding it, and I'm squeezing it, because I have to stop at the dollar. (laughs) Oh, yes. Whatever this is runs deep. So I'm, you know, uh, 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 and I've I got to get the dollar. So my dad is watching this through the window, and I get back in the car, and he yeah, I don't even, I'm not even aware of what I've done, and I sit, I sit down, and he looks at me, and he said, "Do you do that too?" And I said, "Do what?" And he said, do you have to stop at the dollar? And I said, what? I said, I've never watched you pump gas that I can remember. And he goes, yeah, well, I do the dollar. Well, for some reason, I forgot my brother is in the back seat. And my, so I'm the oldest, my middle brother. My middle brother's in the back seat. And he says, I have the freedom to go to 50 cents. So many crazy things we get from our parents. <laughs> Got to stop at the dollar, but my brother can stop at 50 cents. He's a, a man of grace. <laughs> We're talking about David and the monarchy in 2 Samuel. And I think of all the great things I've learned from my father. Uh, and I just think I'm reminded, you know, for good or for ill, we... Uh, learn from our parents uh, great, great lessons. And there was, in fact, a song that I want to play for you that will remind you of uh, the for good or for ill part of um, our responsibility with our, toward our children. Harry Chapin? Oh, great. Well, he went on to write some music, so. 
child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away, and he was talking for I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, "I'm gonna be like you, Dad. You know I'm gonna be like you." And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know. I said not today. I got a lot to do. He said that's okay, and he walked away. But his smile never dimmed. It said I'm gonna be like him. Yeah, you know I'm gonna be like him. And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. The little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when. But we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. College just the other day, so much like a man. I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and he said with a smile, "What I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please?" And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you're coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. Since retired, my son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids are the flu. But it's your nice talking to you, Dad. It's been your nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me. He'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you're coming home, son, I don't know when. But we'll get together then. Then we're gonna have a good time there. We teach our kids a lot, sometimes by not trying to teach at all, but just what we live out in front of them. Uh, some of the lessons are really good, some of the lessons less so. Uh, the cat's in the cradle, and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, son, I don't know when, 
but we'll get together then, Dad. You know, we'll have a good time then. Powerful lesson from a short little song about making time for those in our lives who are important. A lesson that Harry Chapin, trying to teach a wider, broader audience. It's the same lesson that's in 2 Samuel chapter 13 and 14. For good and for ill, our children follow our example. The truth is, much more is caught than taught. David was a tremendous warrior, yet he was a less than effective father. 1 Kings 1, 6. This is uh, when David is very old, and he's uh, Adonijah is rebelling against him, and the Bible says this, now his father, King David, had never disciplined him at any time, even by asking, why are you doing that? Adonijah had been born next after Absalom, and he was very handsome. David's choices lately have been downright sinful. Now his two young adult sons are following closely in their father's footsteps. They're following David's example. They have everything, and yet they don't have enough. The lesson tonight is the destructive power of David's bad example. The destructive power of David's bad example. We go through two sons in these two chapters, Amnon and Absalom. And we're going to see in both of those boys how they are following in their, foot, their father's footsteps. And yet he never spoke a word against either of them, even to ask, why are you doing this? The destructive power of David's bad example. Amnon is basically chapter 13. If you recall the story... Now David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar, and Amnon, her half-brother, fell desperately in love with her. You might want to put in love in quotes. Amnon became so obsessed with Tamar that he became ill. She was a virgin, and Amnon thought he could never have her. But Amnon had a very crafty friend his cousin Jonadab. He was the son of David's brother, Shimei. One day, Jonadab said to Amnon, What's the trouble? Why should the son of a king look so dejected morning after morning? So Amnon told him, I am in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Well, Jonadab said, You should stop thinking about her. 
you should pay attention to all the other women that there might be in your life. Why would you think about doing this to your sister? Oh, no, that's not what Jonadab said. Yeah, you're like, what translation is that? Jonadab said, I'll tell you what to do. Go back to bed and pretend you are ill. When your father comes to see you, ask him to let Tamar come and prepare some food for you. Tell him you'll feel better if she prepares it as you watch and feeds you with her own hands. Great cousin, Jonadab. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be sick. When the king came to see him, Amnon asked him, Please let my sister Tamar come and cook my favorite dish as I watch. Then I can eat it from her own hands. So David agreed and sent Tamar to Amnon's house to prepare some food for him to eat. When Tamar arrived at Amnon's house, she went to the place where he was lying down so he could watch her mix some dough. Then she baked his favorite dish for him. But when she set the serving tray before him, he refused to eat. Everyone get out of here, Amnon told his servants. So they all left. Then he said to Tamar, Now bring the food into my bedroom and feed it to me here. So Tamar took his favorite dish to him. But as she was feeding him, he grabbed her and demanded, Come to bed with me, my darling sister. No, my brother, she cried. Don't be foolish. Don't do this to me. Such wicked things aren't done in Israel. Where could I go in my shame? And you would be called one of the greatest fools in Israel. Please just speak to the king about it, and he will let you marry me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her. And since he was stronger than she was, he raped her. Then suddenly Amnon's love turned to hate, and he hated her even more than he had loved her. Get out of here, he snarled at her. No, no, Tamar cried. Sending me away now is worse than what you've done to me already. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her. He shouted for his servant and demanded, throw this woman out and lock the door behind her. So the servant put her out and locked the door behind her. She was wearing a long, beautiful robe, as was the custom in those days for the king's virgin daughters. But now Tamar tore her robe and put ashes on her head. And then with her face in her hands, she went away crying. Her brother Absalom saw her and asked, Is it true that Amnon has been with you? Well, my sister, keep quiet for now since he's your brother. Don't you worry about it. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard what had happened, he was very angry. And though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this, he hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. When King David heard what had happened, he was very angry. End of sentence. This first little drama, the players, Amnon, David's firstborn son and heir apparent. Tamar is Amnon's half-sister and Absalom's full sister if you have to draw a little chart. And then you have Jonadab, who's Amnon's cousin. The crime. Amnon indulges his lust and abuses his privileges. His cousin doesn't stop him, but helps him sin. And Amnon rapes Tamar. The aftermath. 
Amnon has lied, schemed, and taken the woman he wanted or thought he deserved. He then hatefully rejects her and has her removed. David's response, anger over his son taking what wasn't his. Lust. But his own past sin shuts his mouth and stays his hand from taking action against his son. My boy is just like me. The cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon and the little boy blue and the man in the moon. My son is just like me. Story picks up two years later. Absalom's sheep were being sheared at Baal Hazor near Ephraim. Absalom invited all the king's sons to come to a feast. He went to the king and said, My sheep shearers are now at work. Would the king and his servants please come to celebrate the occasion with me? The king replied, No, my son, if we all came, we would be too much of a burden on you. Absalom pressed him, but the king would not come though he gave Absalom his blessing. Well, then Absalom said, if you can't come, how about sending my brother Amnon? Could he come in your place, David? Why Amnon? The king asked. But Absalom kept on pressing the king until he finally agreed to let all his sons attend, including Amnon. So Absalom prepared a feast fit for a king. Absalom told his men, wait until Amnon gets drunk, then at my signal, kill him. Don't be afraid. I'm the one who has given the command. Take courage and do it. So at Absalom's signal, they murdered Amnon. Then the other sons of the king jumped on their mules and fled. (laughs) Fled slowly. As they were on their way back to Jerusalem, this report reached David. Absalom has killed all the king's sons. Not one is left alive. The king got up, tore his robe, and threw himself on the ground. His advisors also tore their clothes in horror and sorrow. But just then, Jonadab, the son of David's brother Shimei, arrived and said, No, don't believe that all the king's sons have been killed. It was only Amnon. I wonder how he would know that. Absalom has been plotting this ever since Amnon raped his sister Tamar. No, my lord the king, your sons aren't all dead. It was only Amnon. Meanwhile, Absalom escaped. Then the watchman on the Jerusalem wall saw a great crowd coming toward the city from the west. He ran to tell the king, I see a crowd of people coming from the Horonaim Road along the side of the hill. Look, Jonadab told the king, there they are now. The king's sons are coming, just as I said. They soon arrived, weeping and sobbing, and the king and all his servants wept bitterly with them. And David mourned many days for his son Amnon. Absalom fled to his grandfather, Talmai, son of Amahud, the king of Geshur. He stayed there in Geshur for three years. And King David, now reconciled to Amnon's death, longed to be reunited with his son Absalom. Joab realized... Joab realized how much the king longed to see Absalom. So he sent for a woman from Tekoa who had a reputation for great wisdom. 
He said to her, pretend you're in mourning. Wear mourning clothes and don't put on lotions. Act like a woman who's been mourning for the dead for a long time. Then go to the king and tell him the story I'm about to tell you. And so then Joab tells her what to say. And she goes and she tells him this story about her two sons, one of them killing the other one out of the field where no one could see it. And she says, uh, now the rest of the family is demanding, let us have your son. We will execute him for murdering his brother. He doesn't deserve to inherit his family's property. They want to extinguish the only coal I have left, and my husband's name and family will disappear from the face of the earth. David says, leave it to me. Go home, and I'll see that no one touches him. She thanks him. Uh, If you're criticized, let all the blame fall on me and my father's house. And David says, if anyone objects, bring him to me. I can assure you he will never complain again. Then she said, please swear to me by the Lord your God that you won't let anyone take vengeance against my son. I want no more bloodshed. As surely as the Lord lives, David replied, not a hair on your son's head will be disturbed. Uh, Please allow me to ask one more thing of my Lord the king, she asked. Go ahead and speak, he responded. She replied, why don't you do as much for the people of God as you have promised to do for me? You've convicted yourself in making this decision because you have refused to bring home your banished son. All of us must die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. I have come to plead with my Lord the King because because people have threatened me. I said to myself, perhaps the King will listen to me and rescue us from those who had cut us off from the inheritance... God has given us. Yes, my Lord the King will give us peace of mind again, she flatters him. David begins to sniff something out here. He says, I must know one thing and tell me the truth. Yes, my Lord the King, she responded. Did Joab put you up to this? Yes, how could I deny it? So the king sent for Joab and told him, all right, go and bring back the young man Absalom. Joab bowed with his face to the ground in deep respect and said, At last I know that I have gained your approval, my lord the king, for you have granted me this request. And Joab went to Geshur and brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. But the king gave this order, Absalom may go to his own house, but he must never come into my presence. So Absalom did not see the king. little foreshadowing here. Now Absalom was praised as the most handsome man in all Israel. He was flawless from head to foot. He cut his hair only once a year and then only because it was so heavy. When he weighed it out, it came to five pounds. Can you imagine what five pounds of hair must have looked like? Five pounds of hair. That's a lot of hair. He had three sons and one daughter. His daughter's name was Tamar, and she was very beautiful. Absalom lived in Jerusalem for two years, but he never got to see the king. Then Absalom sent for Joab to ask him to intercede for him, but Joab refused to come. Absalom sent for him a second time, but Joab again refused to come. So Absalom said to his servants, "'Go and set fire to Joab's barley field, the the field next to mine.'" So they set his field on fire as Absalom had commanded. 
Then Joab came to Absalom at his house and demanded, Why did your servants set my field on fire? And Absalom replied, Because I wanted you to ask the king why he brought me back from Geshur if he hadn't intended to see me. I might as well have stayed there. Let me see the king. If he finds me guilty of anything, then let him kill me. So Joab told the king what Absalom had said. Then at last David summoned Absalom, who came and bowed low before the king, and the king kissed him. Crazy story. Amnon is dead. David knew about it, didn't do a thing to Amnon, and so Absalom did. Absalom then comes on the scene. He's the thirdborn and second in line for the throne. His revenge, he hates Amnon for what he did to Tamar. He's had two years to premeditate the murder and two years to plan his escape. Absalom's men murder Amnon after he gets drunk. Absalom runs to Geshur and hides out for three years. After the wise woman's story, David knows he can't write Absalom off and so sins for him. But Absalom returns to distance and silence from his father, living under house arrest. The truce. After Absalom initiates, David finally summons his estranged son and they kiss and make up. David's response. He's struggling to forgive Absalom. He's struggling to reconcile with Absalom. But David's past sin has shut his mouth and stayed his hand from taking action against his son, who is guilty of murder. My boy is just like me. David is guilty of pursuing lust and pursuing murder to cover his tracks. God says, and your sons will follow in your footsteps. The first one meets his end due to lust. The second one will meet his end in the next chapter, but murdered his brother. There is no record of Absalom's sorrow, repentance, or seeking his father's forgiveness. There's no record of Absalom's sacrifices if he would have been repentant. This is a fragile truce at best. Absalom has a hidden agenda that won't stay hidden much longer. It comes out in the next chapter. There are some who even believe Absalom, and Absalom particularly, had his eye on the throne and even used his own sister, Tamar, to get Amnon out of the way. Don't know. The point is, 
Amnon was just like David. And Absalom is just like David. David couldn't control his own passions. Neither could he control his sons. They lived selfish, self-directed lives. They took what they wanted or thought they deserved. Amnon through lust and Absalom through murder. David never stepped in or pushed back. Shame and regret over past sins paralyzed him. The cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. The little boy blue and the man in the moon. My boys are just like me, says David. My boys are just like me. Question. What about us? You find yourself unable to discipline your teenagers because of your past sins? You say, no, they're grown, they're doing well, wonderful. Do you find it difficult to stand up publicly for the truth today because of violations against the truth in your past? Are you paralyzed by shame and regret over your past to such a point that today it closes your mouth and stays your hand from standing up for the truth? Are your past sins shutting your mouth or staying your hand? Maybe it's not toward your children, maybe it's toward your grandchildren. Maybe it's toward a spouse. Maybe it's toward a relative. Maybe it's toward a cousin, an aunt or an uncle, a friend, a business partner, a former business partner. Are your past sins shutting your mouth or staying your hand? Tonight, I encourage you to come to terms with your past something David didn't do. We all have past sins in our lives, things we regret doing. Perhaps for the rest of our lives, we'll have that regret. It's also true some of those past sins still have present and will have future consequences. But in Christ, you're no longer who you were You've been forgiven and cleansed. Receive it. Receive it. You say, I have received it. I'm in Christ. Can I tell you the number of folks I have the privilege of talking to who are followers of Christ, who have not, they're like, yeah, I know Jesus has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. (coughs) Time out. What? What? You've just put yourself above Jesus. Just make sure you get that scorecard correct. (laughs) This is what you're doing. 
In Christ, you're no longer who you were. You've been forgiven and cleansed. Receive it. Walk like Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress yet, this is a great time of year to do that. I've read this to you before because to me it's so powerful, such a great little picture of us. Remember, Christian is fighting Apollyon. And the first thing Apollyon does when he begins attacking Christian, note this well, the first thing Apollyon does when he attacks Christian is he begins to rehearse and remind him of his past sins. So insightful. So insightful. Is the Lord reminding you of your past sins? No. Why not? Because he's thrown them into the depths of the ocean. He says, I will remember your sins no more. I have separated them from you as far as the east is from the west. Who is the one bringing these things to your mind? It isn't God. Wherever it's coming from, it isn't God. Apollyon says this to Christian. Thou didst faint at first setting out when thou wast almost choked in the slew of despond. Thou didst attempt wrong ways to be rid of thy burden, whereas thou should have stayed till thy prince had taken it off. Thou didst sinfully sleep and lose thy choice things. Thou wast also almost persuaded to go back at the sight of the lions. And when thou talkest of thy journey and of what thou hast seen and heard, thou art inwardly desirous of vain glory in all that thou sayest or doest. And Christian's response. All this is true. And much more which thou hast left out. But the prince whom I serve and honor is merciful and ready to forgive. But besides, these infirmities possessed me in thy country, for there I sucked them in, and I have groaned unto them and been sorry for them, and have obtained pardon of my prince. How does Christian respond to these accusations? Does he say, no, I never did those things? He says, all those are true and many more besides that you have not named. And yet, I serve a merciful and forgiving prince and king. He has forgiven me, and I will press on. And when you encounter, whether it's at Thanksgiving and someone who maybe you've wronged in the past, or someone who may have wronged you, I don't know, as, you, as we interact with our family and our extended family, and they remember a lot of things, don't they? And they look at you, and they think, you know, you think you're better than me. And at that point, we need to repent if only to the Lord, and say, Lord, whatever's happened, would you begin to mend these fences? Would you begin to bring healing to these relationships? Would you begin to step into this? You know what they did to me, or you know what I did to them. 
I want peace. I want to be an ambassador of peace and of reconciliation. And I want to leave all those things behind and I want to forgive as I've been forgiven in Christ, regardless of what's happened. We need to be living tomorrow in the acceptance and security of being a forgiven one, not a perfect one. A forgiven one, not a perfect one. And that can give all of us a level of humility to deal with whoever we need to deal with. Be it our children, be it our grandchildren, be it some other relationship that may have gotten twisted over things we have done or have been done to us. Live tomorrow in the acceptance and security of being a forgiven one, not a perfect one, a forgiven one. I don't know what some of you may need to talk to your children about, even if they're 40 or 50 or 60 years old, or to your grandchildren. I don't know. But if the Lord puts something on your heart, you might want to pray through that and step into it, whether that's this week or a coming week. Live tomorrow in the acceptance and security of being a forgiven one, not a perfect one. None of us are perfect. We can live that way through Christ who gives us strength. For next week, which is no longer next week, but it's next time, read 2 Samuel 15 through 19. We're going to go through a little more rebellion here as a result of David's choices. And so if you can, read chapters 15 through 19 for December 8th. Remember, this coming Sunday, enjoy. We're not meeting. No meeting December 1st. We'll meet December 8th. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. I am uh, humbled by looking at David's life and knowing there are uh, things undoubtedly uh, I've taught my sons that I never intended to teach them things they've learned from me that they need to unlearn. There are things I've learned from my father, undoubtedly, that I learned from watching him, not even from talking to him, but just from watching him, that I need to continue to unlearn and walk in your ways. I know my father loves me and meant well, uh, so I love him. For that. But what I want, how I want to walk, is as a follower of the Lord Jesus. And uh, He's a great, worthy example and role model for me. And I pray that your Spirit would empower me to walk 
hard after him, to increasingly yearn for more time with him and to learn of him and from him, to walk in his footsteps, not in footsteps that were left by my family for me to walk in. I want to walk in his footsteps. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you, as the song said, for setting me free. I am not perfect, but I am forgiven thanks to you. And so I give you thanks tonight, as do my brothers and sisters. It's the greatest part of our Thanksgiving celebration, is being thankful for the salvation that we have received, though we did not earn it, though we could not have ever afforded it. You gave it to us. And so this Thanksgiving is a great Thanksgiving again because we're thankful for you and all you are and all you've done for us. Thank you. We pray these things and ask them of you, please, and for your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.